Welcome to the Instinctive Influencers Podcast, a show where influence becomes one of your tools for success. Now, here are your hosts, Brian Weber and Ed Haley. Hi, I'm Brian. And I am Ed. And this is the Instinctive Influencers Podcast. Ed, good to get back with you again, my friend. Uh, we, did we record last week? Uh, we did one. But we did That's it right. late, That's and right. you and you were a little worn out from uh, from crushing it in the gym. You're a little worn out, so we decided not oh. to do, not to record two last week. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, you know, I mean, well, right now, you know, I have a lot of time on my hands uh, <laughs> because I no longer have the first sergeant diamond. So it's kind of a, it's it's kind of like a bittersweet type thing. Uh, I obviously I love the job and I love everything I get to do in it. Uh, but at the same time, I enjoy this. Uh, I get to kind of, kind of concentrate on what I need to get done to kind of start this movement, this journey. Which by the time this airs, that journey will have me somewhere in Colorado. Hopefully, hopefully, so we'll see. Yeah, yeah. Colorado could be an you know, it's on a short list of possible next stops for us. My wife would love to go to Carson, even though I don't want to deal with snow ever again. But it's on a short list for us. It's like probably fourth, third on the list. Well, don't threaten me with a good time, my friend, because I <laughs> would definitely love to have you back at the same army post as me. Yeah, well, we'll see. I, I don't want to go that far, but because this that would be my last. So, so you you probably have another move in you, maybe. You know, I do not. Yeah. I this next one should, if everything goes right, right with promotions, the next one should be my last one. Um. But I am going to put in an extension right. to stay here first. I'd rather stay in Europe uh, myself. Yeah. 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 Well, yeah, I mean, you and the two of you have really enjoyed it. You know, you I see all the time pictures and posts and all that stuff that y'all put. And, and then also obviously talking to you all each each time before we record. You know, I mean, there's there's a lot to a uh, lot to do there. Yeah, there's so much to it. And I, I kind of enjoy the, you know, the culture of it all. Um and I really feel now after the first, you know, we're a little over a year and I don't think you could see everything you want to see in three years, you know, in Europe. I, th- I I don't know how people do the vacation thing. Cause I'm telling you, I could spend a week in Paris alone. You know what I mean? Like, but you see yeah. people who go like to Paris and London and all these other places in one trip. So um, we've been looking yeah. at, you know, our, our itinerary that we want to get, hammered out we've got a couple you know hungary and we've got an, an amsterdam in there and i haven't decided what i want to do for my birthday yet officially official oh. uh i'm thinking probably czech probably czech republic though i'd like to go to prague i think prague is was really nice so but you know that's part of the reason i'd love to stay here the problem is they're not big on letting you stay here but i i think i'd save the, i would save the taxpayers money by staying here <laughs> You'll you'll take one for the team because if they let me stay here, then they only got to pay for one move when I retire back to the states. If I don't stay here, I have to move back to the states, and then I have to move when I retire. So the, it's two moves they would have to pay for. I'm saving money. I think that's more important. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> way to you know way to put other people before yourself, man. I really uh, I'm really happy yeah, about that. I'm thinking about our our listeners, the taxpayers. I'm thinking about them, man. <laughs> Absolutely, man. Uh, so Ed. We're going to get into about human behavior today, actually. Uh, and obviously, your human behavior shows that you would actually <laughs> give for others. Love that. And we're going to kind of go over basically six these six basic tendencies of human behavior. You came up with this when you were doing some research for future shows. And I would definitely say, man, after going through this uh, all this information more than once, I would say that it's uh, it's rather informing. And it kind of helps you kind of re-look at things, re-engage things uh, as an influencer. Even. Yeah, and this is one, too. So my daughter um, is currently in college for, uh, she's going to school sociology, so sociology and psychology. She wants to actually be like a counselor. She actually talked to me funny because she's Canadian, but she was talking to me about her possibly getting into the field of helping veterans. And, and I told her that in Canada, you know, the veteran programs are not as robust as we have in the state. So it would probably be a good field for her in Canada. So I think this is an episode that really speaks to what she's studying in school. And it, hopefully she'll find this really interesting. And um, I'm sure it'll generate some 
conversations with my daughter. She's really, she loves human behavior and, you know, like the whole psychology of it all. Oh, yeah. I, I totally enjoy it, too. So I would uh, definitely be interested in her thoughts of what we cover today because, I mean, you know, you think about it, this, there's a lot of good information in here. I mean, we're hitting over six different tendencies. So, um, and just to be able to sit back and look and, and to observe and kind of say, oh, okay, I'm seeing this in this person. Yeah, it's pretty, uh, pretty important. Uh, but right off the bat with it, it actually gets into influence. It's, that's the premise of the whole study that was done and then finding the, the tendencies. But the author actually talks about influence in itself. And I, I, was, I was pretty shocked by that. Um, not shocked by it, but I was, I was happy to see that. How about that? Um, what he says is everyone has a boss as well as peers. To be successful, one must be able to work effectively with any or most of them. The lifeblood of this process is influence. To be successful at your job, you must be able to sell an idea or project, persuade coworkers or peers to provide support and or resources, or get people to do something that they may not necessarily want or need to do. The ability to move others to achieve important objectives is most effective. If you can find a way to couch it in terms where everyone wins, you, me, the organization, an underlying principle of persuasion is that people expect reciprocity in the process. To be able to persuade effectively, you must create win-win trades when in difficult situations or when dealing with difficult individuals or groups. And we've covered multiple things on the show. Everything from, you know, pay the bill for leadership capital. We just did, uh, what, a couple weeks ago, we did the, uh, the tactics of influence. You know, when you think about this, I mean, that is, that is the overall goal when it comes down to what we need to do as influencers or leaders is to find those win-win situations because then people, to me, people want to do things. They want to kind of participate because they feel like they're not losing out. Yeah. And I think that that's, you know, that's the key point. So the one thing I know I struggle with, so, you know, let's relive my fantasy football championship. Oh Um, goodness. We got to bring that up again. Well, one of the reasons that I, um, I'm not successful with trades is because I don't know how to create win-wins. I create (laughs) win for me and you get whatever's left over. But when you create those win-win situations, you know, something that benefits both sides, both parties, then, you know, obviously that's, that's an influence. And uh, I think, I I mean, it's challenging in a difficult situation is challenging, Um, you know, and, and, with what I do in, in the military, these are things that we do with our partners, our allies, is we try to come up with, you know, resourcing and, and that benefit both sides, though. I can't just be like, hey, give me this, you know, give me give me this gold block and I'll give you this, you know, jar of peanut butter, whatever. That's like way extreme, <laughs> but, but that's, not, you know what I mean? So, yeah, to to spread your sphere of influence, you have to be able to understand win wins. And I I'm telling you, when it comes to sports, when it comes to uh, fantasy with my wife, when it comes to playing Monopoly, I don't know how to do win wins. Like it's win for me, not for you. I I cannot do that piece. <laughs> yeah. Well, and you know, and I wouldn't say that you could always get a win win anyway. I mean. Not everything we do is there going to be a win-win, but what I would say is we want to look for those instances where we could possibly use uh, everything that's going on to get the win-win for everyone involved. I mean, obviously with us, we have to kind of, one of our biggest things is we have to make sure the mission happens. Now, if I make sure that the soldiers are taken care of and they make sure the mission happens, then so be it. But there are those cases also where, Soldiers may not be as high caliber, you know, and they don't think about I'll take care of that leader. And you have to kind of kind of massage them into getting things done. I like I like the terminology you're using there. Massage them into getting things done. But, yeah, really, this is just, you know, when you read this paragraph, we're talking influence. We're talking leadership. We're talking you know, persuasion, persuading coworkers or peers to provide support and or resources. 
those are things that are key. And so I've just recently ran into a situation where like three different departments have to work together. So we'll, we'll even civilian term it. They have to work together and, you know, department one provides a product that department two needs to develop its requirements and department two feeds department three, but the heads of the three departments don't want to work together. Mm. So for me, even though I'm part of department three, I have to try to figure out how to exercise some sort of persuasion to fix that flow in the organization. You know, you have to be that, that charismatic leader that can, you know, appeal to department one and department two, get them to feed you so that you can get your work done at the end of the day. So that's another big piece for me in this uh, first little blurb that we went over, Brian. Oh, yeah. I, I kind of see what you're talking about. It's almost like uh, you're becoming a, a diplomat. You know, diplomacy works well sometimes when it comes to negotiations of sorts, even within your own organization or within your office space. So what we're going to we're going to we're going to dive into this and we're not going to fool around with a bunch of the stuff that was in the article. Uh, we're actually going to get right into the actual tendencies. So it says here that according to Robert Caladini, Six basic tendencies of human behavior come into play when exerting influence to achieve a positive response. That's I like I like that, Ed. You know, you know me. A positive response. You are you a fan. exerting yeah. influence. Oh yeah. Come on, exerting influence to achieve a positive response? That to me is win-win when you say that. But here we go. These are reciprocation, consistency, social validation, liking authority, and scarcity. These six tendencies affect business and organizational dealings, social involvements, and personal relationships. Therefore, understanding and utilizing this knowledge effectively will not only make us successful in business, but also enhance our relationships and our lives. Looking, you know, when we get through each one of them, I mean, I know you and I have multiple uh, examples and we'll be able to lead on to that. Um, but here, here we go to use the art of influence. I love that. The art of influence. <laughs> That's actually a book if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. Um, well, it is an art like, you know, it is hey, real quick, Brian. I just want to stop you with, um, when you say the art of influence, it is just that it's an art form to influence. And when we substitute influence and leadership, it's an art form to leadership because you're bringing people from different cultures, different, you know, belief systems and, and you're, leading them towards a common goal within your organization. And we just talked about those department heads. It's an art form to be able to mesh three people who don't really want to work together and get them to do it. So I really feel like the first five words of which you, of of this um, little section here, I think the first five words are crucial uh, in regards to all six of the tendencies, because I think exercising these tendencies that we're going to go over, I think it's an art form, right? And I think it's not looked at like that, but it, it, in my mind, it definitely is an art form. Oh yeah. I totally agree with you, man. And that's, you know, when we were getting this, the use to use the art of influence, like that just, I believe it is an art. And I believe you, you have to sway and move with situations. It's not like I can just be rigid the whole time and keep things this way, this way, this way. You, you just got to constantly, you got to feel it. You got to kind of move it. It's almost like, it's like uh, painting or dancing or something, you know? You just got to kind of get the momentum and then all of a sudden, boom. Yeah, there's like a fluidity to it. It's just, you know, and that's why one of the crucial things in the Army that we learn about leaders is to be flexible, right? Yeah, exactly. So when we talk here, it, when I said there, it says to use the art of influence, it is important to build relationships. We, we, we talked about that not too long ago. But good relationships lubricate the process. Building goodwill is an important aspect of the art of persuasion. It is easier to ask people we know and who like us for a favor than to ask those who do not. Also, to exert influence effectively, one must be perceived as being competent. Oh, yes, definitely. Making reasonable requests. Absolutely. And having the good of the organization at heart, without a doubt, I would say. Uh, This provides credibility. You are working for the good of the organization, which benefits 
everyone and are not just selfishly looking out for yourself. Uh, I mean, when we were talking about, um, on, let's see, it was a few episodes back and we were getting into, when we were talking about the value of influence and you asked me uh, the reason, you know, that I, I like Star Major Brian so much and all this stuff. And I, that, I felt as if though he was looking out for the best of the organization and the people within it. So I felt like as if though that was a good person. And that's why like, I, I definitely say that's why I reflected back upon that when it comes to this, what we just talked about. Yeah. And then interesting too. So when you mentioned, you know, the Sergeant Major Bryant discussion, we had a few episodes back too. So he was beyond that though. So Sergeant Major Bryant did care about his organization, but he's part of a bigger organization. And I know that he was a good steward of that organization as well. You know what I mean? So he went outside his scope out, you know, he had somebody senior to him in the bigger organization, but that didn't change his thought process and how he, you know, looked at that organization. So that's one of the things that I've always uh, admired about when I, my few little dealings with Sergeant Major Bryant is he was bigger. He cared about more than his own self and his own organization. Exactly. And we, uh, earlier, I named off those six, those six uh, tendencies that we're going to look at reciprocation consistency, social validation, liking, authority, and scarcity. So we're going to write into reciprocation, which is about exchange, give and take. It is about exchanging something of value in return for something you may need or want. Uh, There is an uh, expectation, though, that uh, a a favor will be repaid at some future date. Yeah, we've seen this before. You, You know it's about if I ask you a favor and you can't ask too many favors because if you, then it's no longer really a favor. You just might as well tell me to do it, you know? Yeah. Absolutely. Oh yeah, absolutely. At, at some point it's like, yeah. And you, you know, you internalize that. You'll think to yourself, like, man, another favor. How many favors are you going to ask? Like, yeah, that's one of those yeah. things. You're right. You can't misuse your favors. Oh yeah. And you know, I, I had a leader sometime back and I, I remember it seemed like every time he asked for something, it was asking for a favor. And I'm like, seriously, just say, do this. I just say, hey, not, hey, can you do me a favor? Hey, can you do me? Come on, seriously. Just stop. It's not, it's not like, uh, well, it's different. Yeah, because when you overuse it, they cheapen the meaning of it. It's not really a favor. So he's going to ask you to do something. And what he's really doing is appealing to you by calling it a favor. You know what I mean? To try to appeal to your, y'all's relationship. To me, that's what it seems like that would be. So. When you misuse it and you overuse it, then you, you know, you diminish its meaning. Mm-hmm. And now it's not, a, it's not really a favor. It's more of a nuisance at that point. Oh, yeah. And if you look, if you look at uh, not only emotional intelligence, but all social intelligence, it doesn't turn in. It's no longer a favor. It may be the first two times it was, but after that, it just turns into, you're telling me you want this done. I just got to do it. That's all. A hundred percent. So it, author says right here, in all societies, a norm obligates an individual to repay in kind what they receive. This allows people in organizations and business situations to gain cooperation. Most people usually have some working level of the art of influence. The process of winning outcomes includes an analysis of who can give what is needed and then in return an identification of what they may need that you can provide and how best to present it. It is also it also requires flexibility when making the request and a readiness to make adjustments based on the nature of the response. You know, Ed, when I think about this, I kind of also want to throw in, this kind of goes into a little bit of a talent management thing too. Because I'm not going to, why would I ask somebody to do uh, X if they only know how to do Y, right? I If somebody who knows how to do X, I may want to ask them a favor in the X field also because not only would I be showing them that I've I've been watching and I understand and I know what they do, but also I'm, I'm playing under their talents a little bit more and I'm also kind of, uh, I guess you could say, stroking their ego, so to speak, and getting them to you know, be happy about what it is they're doing and at the same time, getting that win-win. Yeah, and you know, I love, I love the win-win too. Yeah, and and so just to illustrate, kind of like it says that um, 
to repay in kind what they receive. So, you know, if, you know, in the army, we pull 24 hour duty. So if Brian says, Hey, can you pull my duty? You know, Ethan has a basketball game or he has a, um, you know, something with karate. Can you pull my duty? And it's a Wednesday and I pull Brian's duty. It's not fair for me to come back and say, Hey, Brian, I have duty on a Saturday. Can you pull that? That's not, it's kind of the same, but it's not because there's a big difference between, you know, working 24 hours straight hours on a Wednesday and working 24 hours on a Saturday. Yeah. So those are the kind of, when we talk about in kind, yeah, what we, what we look at. And, and so it's funny, Brian, because a lot of this goes into um, the contracting aspect. So uh, of what I do. So when you look across, you know, Europe, if I say, Hey, give me fuel, I need diesel. And then that country says, okay, but we need, you know, you know, some other type of fuel, whatever it is, unleaded, we'll just say they don't use that here. Uh, you know, those are kind of the same. And as long as they're valued the same, that's a, that's a, you know, win-win. They get something they need. I get something I need. So just kind of illustrate the win-win of, of in kind, Brian. No, oh, absolutely. Once you, uh, once you take us into that next one, man, consistency. Ah, consistency. This is the key to shooting free throws. Oh, no, no, no. <laughs> but it is. It is. Anyway, consistencies. Consistency. We are driven to remain consistent in our attitudes, declarations, and actions. If we take a position or agree with something, we tend to try to be consistent later. So we can initially try to get agreement with something uh, innocuous or reasonable and then ask for something more substantial that we actually want. Because of consistencies, others are more likely to respond affirmatively to the second request after having agreed uh, to the first. So this just sounds like um, kind of influence in negotiation, right? Mm-hmm. Don't ask for the world initially, but, you know, you could save that for later. Um, but when you ask, it's, it's basically, you know, you, I, I can't remember where, we, where I read that at, but it's talking about getting a yes. You know, asking smaller things first to get that yes and get that mindset out of Brian that he's going to say yes. And then you ask for the more, you know, substantial thing. And because of the consistency in your questioning and the consistency of his yeses, and because it says here um, we take a position or agree with something, we tend to try to be consistent later, mm-hmm. then maybe Brian will give me that fifth yes. You know what I mean? So yeah. it's kind of a. Yeah, it's you're using your consistency of of your responses in a way to influence, you know, whatever it is you're trying to do. So if I say, "Hey, hey, uh, Sergeant Weber, you know, we got land nav coming up. Hey, I'm gonna go out early. Is that all right? You know, to set up. Oh yeah, that's fine. All right. Well, I'm gonna take, you know, I'm gonna take Klingerman because I can't put the water cans out by myself. Okay, that's no problem. Well, I'm gonna drive the Gator, but I'm just gonna go the trails. That that's my that's my big one, and then hopefully I'm gonna get a yes out of there because then that in turn helps my team because now we don't need an extra you know extra driver or whatever the case is, and we get a head start on what our task is given to us by you know Sergeant Weber. So that's kind of how I would see it in, in our history together. I think you know when I think about it, Ed. When I think of consistency, also I think of builds trust or building trust because when you are consistent people tend to trust you Uh, or they know that they can rely upon you for being consistent also. Yeah. And you know, to that point, um, when you're consistently showing that you're able to be trusted, doesn't that make it easier for you as that senior person to trust me? Because you're like, well, I know that he's usually, you know, spot on with what he does. So yeah. Excellent point, Brian. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Well, this next one, I, I know sometimes people are like, oh, I don't care what other people think. But you know what? Yeah, you can say that so much. Well, you could say that so much. But do you care about what certain people think? You're like, For instance, I do care about what certain leaders I've had think about my actions and how they would react to them. So I guess you can say that social validation actually is valid. No pun, no pun intended. But... That's, you know, so I think social validation, that's definitely one of the directions to go with, you know, and 
they are obviously explain here when it comes to you know six basics of human tendencies. Um, so, so social validation. When people are uncertain about what action to take, it's normal to look to others to see what they are doing. This is known as social validation. We try to get an idea of what is acceptable or makes sense given the circumstances. For instance, and I read this uh, before and I've heard other people talk about it. Uh, if, if you're laughing, right? Normally when you're laughing at something, you're actually looking at one of the people you trust the most for validation. Really? It's, it's funny. And I've, I've actually noticed it. I've even noticed it with myself where maybe I laughed at a joke and then I caught myself looking at somebody that I trusted within that group. And I was like, whoa, hold on. that is true. Um, so those of you out there, you ever notice, just watch when a group of people are laughing, if they're looking at somebody, that's usually somebody that they trust and they're looking for like a, a, a validation almost of it uh, to help them through with that. That's interesting. Actually, I'm going to do that. I'm going to do that. Yeah, I never noticed that, Brian. I never even thought of it. That's interesting. Good point. Yeah, absolutely. And, and huh. I mean, there's even other instances where I've seen where somebody gives, they pose an idea, an idea to be uh, turned into a project, a task, a mission, whatever it is. And when they're, they're, they're uh, verbalizing it, they'll look at the boss and they'll also look at somebody that they trust and rely upon uh, within it. And they'll constantly like bounce back and forth. And they may, they may look at other people too a little bit, but they're the majority of their eye contact will be the boss and the person they hey, trust. As you know what, Brian, that, so now as you said that, you know, and I talked about it on an earlier episode where I went to like a, like a day where the contractors come out and they present their spiel, like, here's what we can do for you and da 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 for, for whatever the mission was set was for us. Okay. And I told, I, I said, I was sitting at the head of the table. I wasn't in charge of anything, mm-hmm. but it's funny now that you mentioned it because I even brought up that the, these contractors were like looking at me, like they were speaking directly to me. But in reality, what they were really doing is they were assuming because I'm at the head of the table, I'm in charge and they were looking for social validation. They were looking for me to show some kind of an influence to them by validating their points. That's, that's interesting. Like I literally just had the the light bulb over my head, you know, the ting and the aha moment right while you were speaking, Brian. Excellent. Excellent. Another, another great point that we have in them in the military that you know about, you know, within the, uh, within say the E4 mafia, as we call it, uh, is <laughs> the informal, the informal leader within that group. And we've talked about this before, where if that particular individual is accepting to an idea of a way of things are going, you know, if let's say, uh, there's a sergeant, he comes out and he says, Hey, we're going to do X, Y, and Z. If that particular person that's usually the dominant one within the group is on board, you'll get everybody else on board. So that, and I've, I, I always, that's one of the things I always look for is that dominant force because why would I ever want to turn them into my enemy? I can make them an ally when it comes to getting things done. And as some people may say, oh, well, you're in the army. People are supposed to do what you do. I got you. Uh, I don't always want people to do everything I tell them, right? Sometimes I want to hear their rebuttal on things. I, I want to see their thought process. Sometimes my ideas may not be the greatest one. You know, maybe that person, one of those other people can come up with a better idea. So, I mean, there's lots of things in there, but I will definitely say that the, the unofficial or the informal leader is a huge part. And I guarantee it. I'll put, I mean, I would, I would tell you that there's probably those same types of informal leaders within an, a civilian organization. Yeah, no. And it, I think there is too. So I would argue that when we were at the uh, academy, right, together, that some of those civilians in that organization, uh, some of them were still informal leaders, even though they had long since hung up their little green suits. There were a couple that come to mind immediately for me, of course. You ready? Get it. I need you to queue up the, queue up the commercial. So one of them would be the Bearded Ninja. That's the Bearded Ninja. You can get your very own beard bomb made of snake venom and pomade. Uh, if you're a man who likes to have a beard and you have no hair on the top of your head and you're just one of those types that thinks you're living dangerously, check out Bearded Ninja Beard Bomb. 
the, the bearded ninja to me, he is going to. Uh, but he was an informal. He was an informal leader. Like he had a standing within the academy. But how many people look to him for some kind of guidance? Uh, and if you were in, you know, um, oh, if you were teaching and he was in your classroom, how much eye contact did you make with him? Oh, yeah. How much? how much social validation were you getting from trying to get from, you know, the ninja sitting in the back of your classroom that you weren't really just tearing this thing up and you were doing a good job teaching still social validation. And now, yeah, he rated me, but he was never in your rating scheme. So as far as he was never your supervisor, you know what I mean? But you still look for that social validation from him because of his informal leadership and because of his, his charisma and he wasn't the only one there were others that you know given it depending on the situation that you look to um within that organization and and like i said they weren't green suitors anymore so that kind of reminded me of definitely him though absolutely man uh so you know this next one that you're going to get into and when i started reading it i was like all it kept running through my head was the science of likability book that we went over many (laughs) just as you like, as you begin the very first part of that, you're like, yeah, that totally sounds like the science of likability. So, once you get it, once you break it down for us, my man. Yeah. So we're gonna talk about number four, which is liking. It is a proven fact that people are most comfortable with those who are more like them, and think like them. We are more likely to say yes to people we like than those those we do not. Bang. <laughs> Absolutely. I mean this. This could be almost plagiarized from the Science of Likeability book. It's not, but yeah. the idea is is similar, right? We talked about how important it is to be liked. We talked about how we look. Why do we ask people, and especially in the military? You know, one of the first questions you ask somebody in the military usually um, is, hey, where are you from, like, originally? Because you're looking for that connection, yes. right? Yes. Which feeds into this. You know, that validation. You're looking for that, oh, you know, I... I, I used to live in Maine. Uh, w- you know, where's your favorite place to get a lobster or whatever it is? You know, where's your favorite seafood place? Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. Have you ever tried? And then we got that bond. So that's one of those things, though. Yeah, you're absolutely right. This is definitely science-like ability. Oh, yeah. Uh, research has shown that factors that enhance likability are physical attractiveness, appearance, Having things in common, that's what we were just talking about, yeah. things we are familiar with, and people who compliment us. Recognizing this, we can actually work on developing and re- improving uh, rapport. And that's something we haven't really talked about, you know, Brian, is the importance that uh, rapport plays on you as an influencer within an organization. Because I think that rapport feeds into, like it says here, obviously it's in the liking section, right? But that's important to have some kind of rapport. Now, the one thing we have talked about that really helps to build that rapport is we've talked about just talking to the random guy down the hallway or gal and saying, Hey, good morning. How are you? Because that is the seed of that rapport. You know, what do you think? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. So to me, that seed of rapport, uh, we're going to back right up to trust again. Uh, what you're doing is, is you're building that trust uh, with when yourself or others. And now it's kind of like, some people, like for instance, people will almost, they will vouch for you uh, that you're a good person, a stand-up type person. Sound like a mafia guy here. As a stand-up guy. Uh, but no, I mean, so they'll vouch for you because they know you're a good person. Now, if they vouch for you and you go and mess it up, oh, goodness gracious, you're you're not going to get somebody to, you know, you know be your reference again, so to speak. Uh, I've, and I've seen that happen before. I, it's happened to me. Like, not like... I mean, as in, I vouch for somebody and they kind of did me wrong. I was like, whoa, never again would I do that for that individual or would I help them out? Um, and building the right amount rapport, uh, when we were recruiting, as a recruiter, they preached upon that. Is Listen, you're not going to get the trust of these these kids and whatnot, and they're not going to they're not gonna want to sit down and talk to you about like future career, all that stuff, if you don't at least get some rapport. Well, I can't get rapport if I can't get children uh i say children that's what they seem like to me if i didn't get young men and women of, of our nation to at least sit down and talk to me about it so that it's kind of weird how it all works out but it just takes time rapport is not something that happens happens literally overnight you have to work on it and build it and it's 
not also something that just happens and it'll stay that way. You have to continue nourishing it to get it to grow and stay uh, at, a, at a high level. Um, Earlier, when you read this off, you talk about physical attractiveness, appearance, which to me, those are two different things. Physical attractiveness and appearance. Um, you may say, oh, well, they sound the same. Well, no, they're different. They are. Yeah. One is one is kind of like the looks, and then one is how you present yourself. Uh, not, as, not, not as in your good looks, but how you're able to present who you are. Um, that, to me, that's a big thing. Um, having things in common. When you have those things in common, you know, we talked about science of likability. When you have those certain things in common, then you have common ground to talk upon. But if I don't know certain things about you and you don't know certain things about me, there's probably not going to be any common ground. So there's less likelihood for somebody wanting to uh, do something for you, with you, or whatever. Um, and then it says things we are familiar with. Yes, got that. Uh, people who are who complement us. That right there. I think that's a big, big piece. A uh, compliment goes a long ways. And if you're stretching to give a compliment, then maybe you haven't paid enough attention to the people around you. You shouldn't have to stretch for a compliment. It should be very easy, very simple. It's one of those things where if I'm noticing things, I can just say, hey, that was a great job you did on X, Y, Z. Um, but also, I want you to think about it another way too. When someone compliments you, um, and what wh- I don't mean as in gives you a compliment, I mean as in their assets or them as an asset is complementary to you as an asset. So you're able to feed off each other. For instance, Ed, you and I, I could teach a class with you and be your partner at teaching a class any day because I feel like your knowledge and your uh, presence and who you are complements my knowledge and my presence. And it's almost like we, we mesh together a certain way. And I find that that is one of those things that also helps getting people to like you. Yeah, I think that, oh, man, I would actually welcome the opportunity to um, to teach side-by-side side with you or, or you know, because I think you, you're right. We could um, work together and, and, and it would com- our styles would complement each other. And to me, when you say compliment like that, so I was really going with the, you know, hey, whatever, you look like you've lost a lot of weight or, man, you're a, my favorite. You're a monster. Um, but <laughs> so those are my favorites but no no i like what you said though because when you're in a section you know and you have that person that really just compliments your style and you compliment their style that's when you end up with these team of teams these dynamic organizations or dynamic teams and when you as the influencer can manage the talent in your organization where you're actually, so if you work in two man teams and I can pair up Brian and Ed, because I, I can see it, you know, yep. I have that foresight to see how they're going to compliment each other. Then that's my influence as far as compliment goes, because I'm building my teams based off. Okay. I know those two will work together, you know? Yeah. Um, Go back to like, whatever the land nav shack, you know, you, you put some dog in there but you know that certain people are going to compliment how he does things and you put them in there. And now that's sh- that you as the overall supervisor, you really don't have to worry about it. You need to check in because that's what you do, right? You inspect, not expect, but it doesn't monopolize your time because you've put a team in there that complements each other and works well together. I-, I think it's an excellent point. I like the way you went with compliment there, Brian. Yeah. Let's also talk about there with a the co- cooperation though. Yeah, so, yeah, it says that cooperation is another factor that has been shown to enhance positive feelings and behavior. So agreeing with the other person or doing something for them can be useful in achieving your objective. So we just talked about how people, you can have people on a team that complement each other. You You can use talent management to put them together. And then here's where you get the, like, the, you know, the endorphin release from it is it's a the positive feelings and behavior within that you know group. So you think about us working at the academy. We had four instructors ish, usually three, and a senior. But if you had those three instructors that complemented each other, you as a senior, you were almost out of a job, man, mm-hmm. because they worked so well together. They had good feelings and behavior. And they made things happen. 
uh, within your organization. Um, going back to my example earlier of the three sections working together, right? The three departments, department one, two, and three. Well, once they do, once you get them to mesh and, and understand each other's role, and then they cooperate. So, you know, hey, I'll, you know, if team one says, hey, I can provide you a swag of the numbers so you can do the budgeting, they're not going to be 100% accurate, but I'll get as close as I can. Team two now appreciates that. Boom, I can wrap up my budget. I can forward it to team three. Team three has the budget that they can present to their higher headquarters. We work together and there's a better feeling amongst each other. And that's how you tear down those walls where they didn't want to work together before. Oh yeah, man. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. It's, it's kind of like putting, it's like cogs, like putting cogs together or, or, or gears together. If they don't sit just right, they're just going to chew each other up, you know, and, and it's, and then things are just going to get disastrous. Uh, so, hey, so this next yeah. one, uh, number five though, is authority. And the rule of authority tells us basically that people are almost instantly differential to those in a position of power. This includes persons in leadership positions and those who have special knowledge, impressive credentials, or even just an air of confidence. When a speaker is introduced and his or her credentials are presented before uh, the presentation, more of the audience will tend to agree with the speaker's position, receive him or her better, and give more positive reviews. Authority is good, but credibility is even better. Credibility results from expertise and trustworthiness. That's that word again. You become trustworthy when people understand and agree with your intentions. You become more trustworthy and influential when it becomes evident that you truly believe what you are saying. Uh, I could I could give multiple examples of this. Just Let's just say in the influencer and leadership realm. Uh, John C. Maxwell, Simon Sinek, Jocko Willink. Those are just three examples to me that I know their credentials now, right? I understand that. So they, that carries weight with me uh, when they speak on something. For instance, if they say try X, Y, and Z in your leadership approach or style or communication, I would definitely try that. Versus if it's just somebody who I don't really know very well and they try to tell me the same thing, I'm not going to be as uh, likely to kind of do what they want or what not what they want, but what they're saying because I don't know where where's their evidence on this. Where's their their background? What is it in? You know and uh, where have they shown that they can, they, they can make it happen themselves instead of just giving me? Uh, I mean, I, I can tell you right now, I know a couple different people in my life. Uh, one speak just right off the top of my head, full of tons of advice, but I've never seen once where they made that work or made that happen. And I'm just like, okay, yeah, I'll just, I'll act like I'm listening to you and I'm accepting your, but I'm, I want to first make sure that it's coming from a credible source. Does that make sense? No, and it, it really does make sense. And, you know, and this is kind of going, you know, military wise, right? Like you expect that that's Sergeant first class. You expect that they have that position of power that they've been around, been there, done that. So as young private smugatelli, that, that authority should be an influence. And, and if you're the same military occupational specialty, you would expect that, that sergeant first class through their experience can lead you to get where they're at. Right. Like, you know, they have the knowledge they they have, they've been there, done that, and they should be able to lead you if you're that same military occupational specialty. So I think that's where the authority influence comes in. The unfortunate thing is in, in at least in, so in my career field, we used to be six different military occupational specialties, six, seven, it, let's just go with six. It may have been seven. <laughs> and we rolled them into one, though. So I can go one career path to sergeant first class and never touch another career path in the same specialty. So when Private Schmuggatelli looks to me, he may be like, well, he should know. But I really didn't go that route. So, like, for instance, I can come up through working in a maintenance section, you could pretty much go make it all the way to Sergeant First Class just working through the maintenance section. Now, is it rare? Yeah, because you would have to be a platoon sergeant at some point. 
but you would never touch a warehouse. You know, I know a guy who made it to Massar, same rank as you, Brian. He never went to the warehouse and worked. Now, yeah, so now he goes into the warehouse as whatever position, and Schmugatelli, who just came from Fort Lee, Virginia, and fresh out of basic training and advanced individual training, he expects that master to know the warehouse, but the warehouse, he doesn't. Um, And actually, it happened to me as a staff sergeant. I went to the warehouse for the first time. I was at 12 years in the military. So if you're my private, you expect I know how to run a warehouse. I had no clue, and I've talked about that on here before. Mm-hmm. So I didn't have that authority piece to really give influence. Now, what I did have is an ability to learn from soldiers and check my ego. Yeah. That's what I had. Yeah. What I had is the ability to be a lifelong learner and learn something new and not be ashamed of learning from soldiers. So that kind of helped me in my situation. But, yeah, that's one of those things. You expect that senior person to know, to have been there, done that, to have worked in the motor um, you know, the mail room and work their way up. So that's that authority influence to me, Brian. Yeah, man. I couldn't, I couldn't uh, agree with you more, man. It's just, it's understanding uh, what you do know and, and be, and, or it's really understanding the, the, the individuals around you. Are they credible or not? Um, and I mean, you could, you could have two salesmen, right? And one is the top salesman of the year and the other one's barely getting by. Am I going to take advice from the guy barely getting by? No, I'm going to take advice from the top salesman because that individual has been successful in that area. It's the same thing with a warehouse, whether it be, or the same thing with leadership and responsibilities and stuff or aviation maintenance or whatever. Uh, you, you really have to look at uh, the different credentials. Now, at the same time, though, there are plenty of people out there that don't want to share their um, their experiences, advice, and knowledge. And to me, they're not even worth your time if they're not wanting to help others out also to become successful. That's a good lead in to the very next one there, Ed. It's funny, Brian, because you, you used the, the salesperson reference and I'm going to talk about that here. Cause I did at one point sell things. Um, <laughs> I did sell furniture. Well, I sold electronics anyway. So number six, number six is scarcity. The perception of, of being in competition for limited resources has a powerful motivational effect. The effect of scarcity on human judgment is demonstrated when a buyer is sitting on the fence and the real estate agent tells them there's another potential buyer with cash who has been, has seen the property and will be back tomorrow with his spouse to put in an offer. The fence sitter reacts and responds quickly. So <laughs> two points here. Two points here. One, my wife and I actually have a rule because of this. So we, you know, we were finding, we were seeing things and we were like, oh, I really want that, but uh, we're not going to buy it. It's the last one, but it'll be here. And then you go back and it's not there. So we do have a rule. If we look at something and we're like, we really kind of want it and it's the last one, odds are we're going to get it. Like it could be whatever. It could be a Snickers, man. If it's the last one, that scarcity factor really influences us. <laughs> and so, so they talk about the buyer sitting on the fence and it made me think of, so I was selling, you know, I'm going to date myself some more here. So I was selling TVs and VCRs and these new things called DVD players. And uh, <laughs> people would come in and, you know, at the time DVD, like a, a Toshiba DVD player was like four or $500, you know, like these things were ridiculous. Not like these, Black Friday twenty dollar ones we get now. Yeah, and uh, what I would do is to get the sale, especially on TVs because TVs paid a higher commission. What I would do to try to influence the sale is I would say, "Well, let me check our stock." You know, I'm sure there's tons, and and you could think about it. Come back later, you know, tomorrow, whatever. Yeah, and then I would come back. I would go to the computer. I would usually do nothing. I would come back and I say, "So there's only one in stock." Now, we haven't sold one in two days, so I'm sure that one will be here if you want to think about it overnight. And then, they'll, you know, you you plant those seeds that, well, they haven't sold one in two days, though, and there's only one. The next thing you know, they're like, well, uh, how much is the warranty on it? And I'm like, cha-ching. <laughs> so that was, a, that was my technique for the fence sitters is uh, I'd be like, well, there's one. Or, you, you know, uh, well, this washer and dryer, I can have it delivered. Let me go check the appointments. Oh, you know, 
we've only got one more appointment this week. So you would have to actually wait two weeks if you don't get it today. And then, <laughs> so just a scarcity thing, but it does play a role, man. Like, and, and resources could be anything, you know, when you start talking about us and our promotion board files, right? Right. That resource could be at Star Major's time who we want to review our packet before we, you know, before we validate that that could be a resource. And the idea that he only has so much time to go around, that could have an effect on and an influence on you as, as a leader. So I think that this is a, yeah, it's interesting. And it's really funny because of the whole, it's the last one. So we have to get it. It doesn't work with cars. I tried that with my wife. Um, it's the last car on a lot like this does not get me a car. <laughs> You know, and I think about it, like what you said there with the selling factor, though, in a sense, they already really want it. They're just looking for an excuse uh, not to get it or, you know, around it. And you're just kind of you're kind of giving that little push that kind of gets them there. So, I mean, I I could see how that works. But when it comes, let's say when it comes to getting a project done, right, um, that's a good way to kind of get somebody to want to take charge on it. You know, something, hey, listen, you know we may not have another project like this for X amount of time. You may want to jump on this to take lead. And that way you can get your IDs out there, blah, blah, blah. And you're, you're kind of, you're kind of getting them and persuading them a certain direction because you need them to take lead on it. So, uh, but yeah, I, I definitely, I, lo- I loved your idea. I loved your story. You probably went back to check and see if your solitary timer was still good on your computer or something. Yeah, no, I definitely, I would go over and beat on the keys because they were like behind, so they couldn't see the monitor. And I'd be like, oh, no. And then I'd go back and be like, so I'm sure it'll be fine. (laughs) I was also really, so it's, you know, and you talked about just a minute ago about the sales uh, in in the previous topic in um, authority. And you were talking about a little bit about sales. So I was the not good salesperson that you did not want to listen to. Uh, my buddy, Tim, he was, uh, this dude has been, he's still at that place. Um, but this dude was making more. He was making more from commission on sales than a lot of people like business. People, like, like my, you know, like people were making, we'll just say he was making 50, 60,000 just in commission way back then. Um, and he's been doing this. I mean, man, I think he's at like 25 years at this place. So. He was good, but he didn't like to share his information or his. Uh, he also didn't like to share his client list. So <laughs> well, yeah, I was I was a terrible salesperson, man. <laughs> yeah, so we, we went over these different these six areas uh, that basically are you know for the six tendencies of, of human behavior: reciprocation, consistency, social validation, liking, authority, and scarcity. But we have to realize also, though, is there are barriers. Barriers are out there that can kind of stop these things, and we have to kind of maneuver these barriers. And some are barriers you can go through, some you can go around, can go over, or you have to take a different pathway. It doesn't matter. But a barrier of influence may be a lack of common goals, priorities, or agendas, or a lack of common ground overall. They want something in return for their cooperation that we may have difficulty providing. Anonymity, rivalry, and or politics may be involved. That I can tell you that those are the type of barriers that always when they get in the you, they, we, when they get in front of you, you almost want to give up. You really do. But you have to dig deeper into that. So that anonymity, rivalry, or in politics, if you can dig a little bit deeper, normally you can kind of, you know, kind of pull it out uh, of what what needs to happen to help influence. Um, So look inward for barriers to exerting influence successfully. These may include such things as lack of working knowledge of the art of exerting influence, not preparing sufficiently, becoming discouraged too quickly, or failing to try different means of or approaches. Perseverance in most cases pays off. Fear of rejection or negative reactions and not presenting the request in a win-win manner are also potential barriers to success. Uh, I I liked right there that in most cases pays off, but it talks about failing to try different means or approaches. 
all too often, Ed, I find that people, when they're trying to get something done, they use the same approach every single time. And then that's when they become discouraged and quickly fail. Uh, instead of, okay, I've tried this approach. It didn't work. Let me try it this way. Maybe that'll work. Or or not using the same approach every single time. Try a different approach right off the bat. You know, uh, But it's really getting to know people and understand people is what I see. Yeah, you got to have a kit bag full of things. And, you know, we talked uh, about um, when we were at the academy, we we were starting to learn a lot about creative and critical thinking. And we had some exercises that we would do to practice this, such as my favorite, the artifacts game. Uh, but Or the bag of artifacts is what it's called. So anyway, creative and critical thinking is so important because you can't throw the same solution at a problem. You can't approach everything the same way over and over because it gets stale and things change. So we talked about flexibility earlier on the episode, and that's where that flexibility comes in. Well, you have to be flexible in your thinking as well. You have to be creative and think critically of whatever that situation is in order to get the payoff that you desire. If you approach everything the same, your results are going to be the same. And that's the definition of insanity. Yes, it is. <laughs> Absolutely, man. So in conclusion, uh, with this whole piece here, basically the art of influence or persuasion is a powerful and necessary tool in organizational life. Even better is using it effectively to carry out tasks and achieve goals successfully. Mastering the art of influence is a powerful tool in ensuring one's success within the organization. I would definitely say listeners out there, I would look into, you know, the different arts of influence and, and how you can go about studying these six basic tendencies of human behavior to help you become a better leader and influencer uh, in the future. And you, it would shock you. Sometimes you can kind of double up on some of these and they'll help you kind of with that flow of things. So, so with that, Ed, I mean, would you say you have anything else for uh, the listeners on this topic? Uh, well, I would, Brian, actually. Um, no, uh, I thought it was pretty good. I liked it. I actually had aha moments. I demonstrated our favorite thing. I demonstrated a little lifelong learning during the episode. And, uh, that was amazing. Usually it gets me in the research. So you, usually when we're doing our research for our shows, that's where I'll be like, Oh, okay. I know what this, this makes sense. I had the aha, but today it was on the recording. So that's amazing, Brian. Absolutely, man. Uh, so in a, actually, you know, it's fun that you brought that up because here a couple of episodes from now, we're actually going to have uh, an episode on lifelong learning. It's influence is lifelong learning. So I think that's going to, that'll be pretty cool. We'll, we'll knock that one out and that'll come out in March. It looks like Ed. Uh, but as always, Ed, if there were people that happened to be listening and they felt that they would like to connect with us or others, who are interested in the art of influence or any or the six tendencies of human behavior in general, what would you recommend? I would recommend you read a book. No, I would recommend. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I would recommend that you check us out on social media platforms at One Hundred One Influence on Facebook, Instagram. We're on Twitter. I have been doing a better job of going into the Twitter. I realized last week, I, so I looked down at my Twitter icon, it had 59 next to it, which meant I had 59 messages or, you know, whatever. I was like, yeah, I got to do better at this. So I do actually go in there and just kind of like peruse it a little bit. But those, those are some great areas to check us out, get involved, the Facebook page. I would like to see the Facebook page get a little more lively, get a little more discussion going, and maybe those discussions could generate some more show ideas. I think we have... um a pretty good queue of ideas for the show, but I mean, Hey, there's always room. I, I want to say last count we had like, uh, I think we had like 10 episodes of this year that we could still fit in stuff or whatever. So that would be awesome. If you want to go to one-on-one influence, answer the questions and join the close uh, Facebook group, check us out on our website, uh, the instinctive influencers website as well. And then you can meet the faces and you can actually see the wonderful, poodle general pat <laughs> exactly ed and i would definitely say that hey listen if you want to you know help and you want to become a part of something a little bit bigger than yourself then recommend the show to others just i mean say hey listen have you ever thought about listening to a podcast on xyz whatever it is 
and maybe maybe even pick out a, an episode that you have found, or you know, could be even this one uh, that you found interesting, and you share it with someone. Just share it with them. You don't have to. I'm not saying, hey, post it on your Facebook or put it, you know, make a post on your Twitter or Instagram. No, I'm just saying, hey, talk to somebody and see if they like it, and they may, and they may be thankful that they found this out. I mean, the whole reason. Um, uh, one of the guys that was working for me, he went home on leave and his daughter, he told her about the show and then she started listening to it. And then she had some nice comments that we talked about not too long back. I mean, that was all recommendation word of mouth. And I'll tell you that that's usually the best way for people to connect and learn how to, you know, for that social interaction. Uh, but I don't have much more, Ed. So I think uh, it's a good time to kind of close this one out. Absolutely. <laughs> With that, I am Brian. And I am Ed. And this has been the Instinctive Influencers Podcast. Remember, the six basic tendencies of human behavior, they could help you one day too. Thank you for listening. Have a great day.